Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Before I introduce my guest, I'd just like to share with you what you can do to help me. We, you can't donate to this podcast. Sometimes I get requests, but I turn those down. This is just a self-funded labor of love. And obviously, I don't want to profit off of LGBTQ stories. Everything here is just a labor of love. But the things you can do is... Um, Buy my book or go to Amazon or Desert Book and leave a review. The book is Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Saints, or and or you can go to iTunes and um, leave a review about the podcast. Those are things that help me. I watch those, and it's helpful for me. And for others that are considering, engage, considering engaging in the content that are part of the book and the podcast to know it's helpful. Um, but thank you for all you have written the, um, reviewed the book and read the book and shared it with others and are sharing the podcast. It's a community effort to bring more understanding. And a lot of you are really taking the lead to do that. And we all just have our own circles of influence. And um, even if you feel like I can't influence a great number of people about helping them better understand, you can influence a few. And that's really all that any of us are trying to do. So with that said, um, I'd like to introduce my guest, Clark Morley. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, Clark's in my home. We're done a lot of these via Zoom, but Clark's in my home. It's kind of good to do a podcast face-to-face. It's a Sunday afternoon on a cold Sunday in January when we're recording this. Clark is 27. He's a BYU graduate, graduated in 2019 with a major in photography and a minor in business. He is a high school teacher here in the Salt Lake City Valley. Um, he is working and would like to attend grad school. Tell our listeners what you'd love to do at grad school and what you'd love to become after grad school. Yeah, so I'm currently applying to uh, Master's of Social Work and Master's of Mental Health Counseling programs. I'd love to end up being either a licensed clinical social worker or a certified mental health counselor and uh, open up a practice that would be able to help individuals who have faced circumstances similar to mine where I'm working to reconcile faith and sexuality and uh, grapple with the mental health repercussions that come from just being a part of the LGBTQ community. And tell us your, how you identify Clark. I uh, am gay. And Clark is, tell our listeners where you grew up and also where you served at your mission. Yeah. So I grew up all over the Western United States, Idaho, Oregon, Utah, Nevada, Um, But we eventually ended up in Draper. uh, That's where my parents live and went to high school. And so I claim that as home. I also served a mission in the Chile Concepcion South Mission. And what years were you there? I was there from 2012 to 2014. And who was your mission president? Uh, President Martinez. He's a native Chilean. That's great. Yeah. Thanks for your service. And One of my, Clark and I talked about this beforehand, but one of my personal interests that's unrelated, obviously, the podcast topic is plate tectonics (laughs) um, and earthquakes that become a result of moving plates and whatever the right vocabulary is. And you're in the middle of that. Tell our listeners the biggest size earthquake you felt. Yeah, we didn't have any major huge ones, but I did have several 5.5s. It's pretty big. It's pretty big. It was enough to to wake you up and and make you, yeah, make you a little nervous. But we only had to spend one night up on the the hill after a tsunami. tsunami Yeah. So anyway, thank you for your service. Um, Clark's just going to tell a story as a gay Latter-day Saint. Um, 
I've learned, even though we've done a lot of these stories, every story is different. Every story is needed. And every story may impact one of you listeners in a way that no other story has. And Clark may say some things that may not be very remarkable to Clark, but maybe just the things that you hear that will be helpful for you as a parent, as an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint, as a local leader. Clark offered a wonderful prayer before we start, and it's our joint hope that this podcast will be helpful for you and that Clark will be able to share his story um, to bring hope and healing and understanding and bring us together as the same human family. So with that, just tell us kind of, tell us about high school life, um, pre-mission life, um, and about being gay. Were you out to anybody? Were you out to yourself? Kind of share with us a little bit of that part of your journey. Yeah. Um, high school for me was, it was kind of a mixed bag. Um, I, you know, had sometimes had to transition between different friend groups for different reasons. And so there were some lonely times, but high school was generally actually a pretty happy time for me. Um, I felt if I'm being honest that I was in denial quite a bit. Um, I was not out to myself. I was not out to anyone else. I, I grew up kind of feeling that these feelings of same sex attraction were just insecurities. Um, I was bullied as a little kid. I, um, most of my neighbors growing up were, were girls. And so, you know, just as what you do when you're a little kid, you play with, you know, everyone who's close by. And so I had lots of friends that were girls and I, um, was not, you know, the most sporty kid. I mean, I played soccer, but was by no means a star soccer player. But, um, so I wasn't into all of the things that your typical little boy was into at that age. And, you know, kids, you know, they're, they're wonderful, but sometimes they can be a little bit cruel and they, they can pick up on those things. And so I was teased and, you know, I began to, you know, figure out what parts of me I should hide or, um, minimize or emphasize and, um, just kind of played it off as an insecurity that had developed because of these bullying from a young age. And so when I got into high school and these, you know, feelings of same sex attraction intensified, I just felt that they were just insecurities. And, you know, eventually I would meet someone that would, make those insecurities go away and I could just move on and not think about it ever again. Did I love the way you talk about that, um, Clark. Do you, where did you kind of, did you, was there anything that caused you to just say these are insecurities and they'll go away or was that just kind of came to you in your own personal journey? Um, I think it was partially a way of me minimizing it and creating some distance between me and reality um, that I am in fact gay and that, that, you know, if, if I just labeled it as an insecurity, it doesn't make it permanent, right? That might be something that would go away with time or um, 
like I mentioned, maybe if I meet the right girl, that those insecurities would go away. I think that's actually a sign of strength, what you did. Um, even though you may look back now with better understanding and saying, I, I might have a conversation with my younger self. I love what you did there. I think it was just a very pragmatic way to deal with this part of your life. I don't think you were in denial. I don't think you were being unauthentic. I think you were just doing the best you could as you move forward. And I think that's great. Thank you. And I just think it's part of your journey to fully understand who you are. So talk about your, did you, I assume you didn't come out to anybody um, before your mission or during your mission. Is that true? And yeah, that's correct. I then talk about your mission was and just having same sex attraction on your mission. Yeah, I, you know, one of my worries going into a mission was that with an increased amount of stress and anxiety that comes from um, being and a missionary and earthquakes and earthquakes exactly That's right yeah I mean, tsunamis and earthquakes yeah, Go ahead. that'll that'll give you some anxiety. <laughs> Um, I was just concerned that having that increased level of anxiety and someone who, you know, had suffered from anxiety and depression previously, that those feelings would intensify and that it would manifest itself through these insecurities. And, um, I was very blessed that honestly, I don't feel like same sex attraction played any role in my time as a missionary. Um, I had a wonderful experience. I met some of the most incredible people I've ever met in my entire life. Um, some of my greatest friends and I love the people of Chile. And so it, yeah, it, it was, I, I was lucky. I didn't have it play a role in my time as a missionary, which was really nice. Any idea why? That's a great question. I, I don't know. I, I think it's a blessing. Honestly, it was just a tender mercy from, from God that I, I didn't have to deal with it during that time to the level of intensity that I may have, you know, pre or before my mission or after my mission. But I'm also aware that, you know, not everyone has had that experience and, you know, Simply praying that it will go away doesn't work. I think I know the answer to this question, but are you glad you served that mission? 100%. Why? It taught me an enormous list of things about myself, about the character of God. Um, it helped me develop a more personal relationship with my Savior. And it expanded my, my ability to view Heavenly Father's children, the ability to see his children the way he sees them. And that is something that I am just eternally grateful for. Um, thanks for your service. And I, it, you know, I invite other LGBTQ Latter-day Saints that are mission age to to, I invite you generally to consider serving a mission. Often, even if you don't know your exact future in the church and how this is going to work out, 
I felt impressed generally that the that serving a mission um, not only helps you bring people to Christ or a restored church, but gives you foundational principles um, with the relationship with the Savior and your heavenly parents to help you throughout the rest of your life. And so that's just, uh, I've sensed a lot of our guests have had wonderful missions. This is a little bit of an aside, but I've noticed that, you know, you're 27 and I've got a Facebook friend and you could, uh, this is a public post you could check out, but it's Elder, I just want to make sure to say his first name right. So you can, Elder Shane Carpenter is a member, is a missionary serving in the Anaheim Mission and he is on Facebook, and he posted a video on January 10th as a gay full-time missionary for the Teacher of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and a gay Christian in general. And that's how he introduces this video that he shares on Facebook. And and I just recognize, you know, he's, I assume, 19, so this is just eight years. There's a There's been a change even in that period of time with Elder Carpenter coming out before his mission, coming out to his parents, coming out to his local leaders, and just this is just part of who he is and taking that right in the mission field and his mission family knows this part about him and and looks at it as an asset within the mission field to help educate other missionaries and other members about LGBTQ, but also potentially to help LGBTQ people connect with the church as possibly their path forward in their life. So um, respect for Elder Carpenter, what he's doing. And and it just, to me, is a sign that it's a little easier to accept this part about um, those of you that are LGBTQ even earlier in the process. And hearing stories like Clark often helps you younger LGBTQ do that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, talk about uh, anything you want to add there before we go on? Yeah, actually, um, I... So I'm a high school teacher and it's been fascinating as a teacher to be able to see so many students that have come out as, you know, openly gay or lesbian or transgender and um, the level of acceptance that even here in Utah in the Salt Lake Valley, these students are receiving is just incredible. Um, that would not have existed even uh, 10 years ago when I was in, in high school. That's cool. And for our listeners, you know, my feeling is that is not a sign of the last days, that more people are identifying as LGBT or are coming out. It's a sign of societal improvement and that we can support, love, and accept, and nurture, and help LGBTQ people as they feel safe coming out earlier. I think it connects them with God. It connects them with families. It connects them with themselves, and it helps them make better decisions going forward. So that makes me happy to hear that. Yeah. I graduated from high school in 1979, and my guess is there were as many LGBTQ people in my high school in 19, actually 79, that there are at the school you teach right now. And the only thing that's changed is those people can be more honest about who they are. And I think that allows them to make better decisions going forward. I agree. I think that level of authenticity and ability to move forward with a support network, you know, everything about that individual, including the fact that they are LGBTQ, um, allows them to be able to move forward in a lot healthier manner. Um, it avoids a lot of developing feelings of self-hatred or um, just leading you down a dark path of mental health in general. Talk about coming home from your mission, and I assume 
um, going to BYU, dating women. Give us a little bit of that, share that period of time with your life. Yeah. Um, so when I came home from my mission, it was a lot more difficult than I had anticipated it to be. Um, I think part of it was, you know, the typical post-mission blues that everyone gets where you've been in this really structured and organized and purposeful day-to-day routine. And then you go home and that's taken from you. Um, But what I think added to the level of stress that I felt and anxiety was now I had to face the reality that I had these quote unquote insecurities and now is when the rubber is going to meet the road. Am I going to marry a woman or am I going to face the facts? And so this isn't something that I'm necessarily proud of, but I just decided to, you know, bury my head in the sand and date girls and, and hope for the best. And if I'm being honest, I know that a lot of LGBTQ um, students at BYU unfortunately have a very difficult time. And that is very understandable, um, especially with some events that have transpired over the last um, few years. But I feel very blessed and lucky that I had an incredible time at BYU. I loved what I studied. I made incredible friends and I had a lot of fun. Um, and it was just an overall really good experience, but I was, it was like putting a lid on a boiling pot where you can't see the steam, but that steam is building and it was going to come out some way, shape or form. And so it was doing its damage. Just talk more about that. Talk about dating, talk about, just share more of that story. Yeah. I, you know, dating at BYU was actually wonderful. I had some wonderful relationships, but they would always get to a certain point. I would, you know, go on a few dates and then I'd have to come up with some excuse. And that always felt so terrible. I always felt so terrible about that, that I was these wonderful girls that I was taking out on dates that are perfect. And I had to come up with some reason. And most of the time it was just, I'm just not feeling it. Why did you know you needed to end the relationship and come up with a reason? I just didn't feel that that was fair to these you know, wonderful girls, they deserve someone that can love them completely in every way, shape, and form. And I just didn't feel like I was equipped to be able to offer that to them. And um, it was, that was a hard realization to come to. And I and tried really, really hard to, to make it work. And um, I remember the summer uh, before I graduated or right before I graduated, I um, was in a relationship with someone who had, I had been friends with for a few years prior. And she's just an incredible human being in every way, shape and form. And when I finally realized that it wasn't going to work, 
that just was kind of the the spark that led to me realizing I needed to accept the fact that I am gay, that I need to own this part of who I am and that I didn't even know what that would look like. I didn't know if that would mean publicly coming out, coming out to my parents and my siblings, or if that would mean suicide. Because I felt like the only ways out for me were to either accept who I was and that I am gay and figure that out, or it was to try and figure this out in the next life. It's really honest. Talk about why you became more suicidal here versus, I think you've kind of done that, but just help our listeners understand that it all, your mental health deteriorated, your feelings about looking at suicide increased and why it all kind of came to a head in this time versus like before your mission or after your mission. Right. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, you know, depression and anxiety is something that I've, you know, dealt with since I was a small child. Um, but this time was just particularly difficult. It was the normal support networks of routine, stability, and normalcy in my life. I had just recently graduated, and so I was starting a new job. I was, life was moving on, and I was starting this new phase of life. and including this in this new phase of life, being openly gay was just almost too much for me to handle. I felt like it was, there was just no hope. And that lack of hope for a future with a family, with a wife in you know, and raising them in the church and creating this life that I had envisioned for myself my whole life just came crumbling down. And um, anyone who knows me knows that I am at my very core a family man. I love my family intensely. I am very loyal and passionate about, you know, my, my family. And facing the possibility that I was never going to be able to have that for myself was too painful to even comprehend. You're doing a good job of talking about complicated stuff, Clark, and taking these feelings and putting words to them. Talk about, and you've done this already a little bit, talk about why suicide, this thing that I'm sure is you would never even think could be part of your life or consider sudden, suddenly became something you openly considered. I think, I mean, I, I want to preface this with that I know you know, prophets and apostles are are called of God and inspired, and they are doing the best with the knowledge that they have been given. Um, 
But I think, unfortunately, a lot of the message has been, we don't know what's going on with this and we'll figure it out in the next life. That phrase to me feels like there's no opportunity for you to feel happiness and peace in this life, but in the next life you can. And when you're in the depths of that depression and anxiety and pain and suffering, when you hear that, the way out sounds like ending your life and suicide. Good job. Um, I just glad you answered that question. And I'm talk about, and read a good answer, talk about what eventually um, pulled you out of that space. I assume you're not suicidal now. So share with our listeners a little bit about what helped you. And that's you talking to other people that are suicidal. Yeah. Um, well, one of the big things for me was just my family and the repercussions that that would have on my family. Um, I just could not bear the thought of my siblings having to tell my nieces and nephews about what happened to me or, you know, having to, my, my parents have to deal with that. I just, I, that thought was more unbearable to me than the unbearable thought of a hopeless future alone. And so when I came to that conclusion, I felt that the only way forward then is I need to have a support network. I cannot do this alone anymore. And so over Christmas break, I decided to talk to my parents about it. I wrote them uh, a letter and I sent them an email and um, in the email just said, if you ever want to talk about it, let me know. And they immediately came and just enveloped me into a huge hug. Um, but that was... How did that feel? It felt... It was just a, a cacophony of emotion. <laughs> it was relief that I had finally shared the load with someone else and that I wasn't alone in it anymore. Um, fear that I had now crossed that line that couldn't be reversed. <laughs> um, but ultimately just peace and hope that I was going to not be in it alone anymore. Yeah. You've talked about no hope and now you've just talked about peace and hope. Yeah. And that's a big difference. Mm -hmm. So this really dark place, this perfect girlfriend situation, the realization that oh, I can't make this work and mm -hmm. I'm graduating and this is just kind of the ideal situation for me to get on with my life. Marry a woman, have the dream and one of the things that so I realize is this is all out of your control. Right. If this were in your control to somehow fall in love with her and change your sexual orientation, of course you'd love to. Because you love to marry her. I sense you love her and you love to have a family. You're a family guy and you love to 
get on with your life and share it with somebody, but it's the realization that, that you're gay and you can't change it and it's outside of your control to control this and just the lack of hope that brings and the reality of that all kind of sinking in. Um, and then I love what you did. I love that then you just said, I've got to talk to people about this. Mm-hmm. Are you glad you did a letter to your parents? And that's sort of you giving advice to others wondering, I need to come out like Clark has done. He wrote a letter, I guess emailed it to his parents. Just talk about that and if you're glad you did that and why it was good or not good. Yeah. Um, I think that for me, it was a really great thing. Um, I know some people are more gifted and talented in their ability to articulate their thoughts and feelings and emotions more than I am. And for me, I'm a, I'm a thinker. I like to mull things over and the ability to take time to write out every aspect of how I was feeling was not only beneficial to me to be able to process everything that I was feeling, but it was then very easily communicable to my parents and they were able to understand where I was coming from from all sides. And it provided us a really good foundation to build off of um, for conversations. Um, As I've proceeded to come out to more people over the last year, um, I've kind of tweaked the letter and I've added and taken things away as I've changed and evolved. And um, that, like I said with my parents, has provided a really great foundation to be able to have meaningful conversations with people that I love and care very deeply about. Before we visited, I asked you how you're doing with your parents and you said you really have a great relationship with your parents and love your parents. And they may not be perfect, just like I'm not perfect, but talk about the thing. This is you talking to parents that want to do a good job with their LGBTQ kids. Talk about the things that they're doing that are helpful and or just any advice for parents. Yeah. Um, I think first and foremost is just unconditional love. Um, my parents have always, you know, prior to me coming out and afterwards have always been a fantastic example to me of unconditional love. I think one of the things that I would avoid and my parents have done a very good job at avoiding doing this is regurgitating what the church's stance is on LGBTQ issues. If anyone is aware of what the church's stances are on LGBTQ issues, it's members of the LGBTQ community because uh, at least I can just speak for myself on this, but I've been very hypervigilant in every statement, uh, conference talk, policy change that surrounds those issues. And so what ultimately an individual that is coming out needs is empathy. Um, Empathy for the difficult position that they're being placed in and empathy for, you know, the, the hard and difficult decisions that they're going to be asked to make in the future. And if they feel like they're met with, uh, they're met with, you know, opposition or disapproval while they're making those decisions, then that's going to be extremely difficult. 
I love that. And um, on page 208 of my book, I included some um, what the church teaches, and I think it's provident living for um, local leaders when someone comes out. And these are the questions that they encourage people to ask. The same parents' questions parents could ask, will you tell me more about your experience? What is this like for you? Listen, listeners, you can't give a yes or no answer on any of these questions. Mm -hmm. How have these feelings affected your life? How have they affected the lives of your friends and family? How can I help you? Would you like us to meet regularly to discuss this? Labels have different meanings for different people. What do the words gay, lesbian, bisexual, SSA, and, and so on mean to you? And then I go on to add after these questions, note that none of these questions lead to reminders to live a lot of chastity or to study the family, a proclamation in the world. My experience is that our LGBTQ members are often near experts on those topics. If needed, those conversations can come later after a foundation of trust has been established. I love the humility of one of Ben's, Ben Shalati, whose gay recent bishop show when Ben came out as gay, quote, Ben, what do I need to know and understand that I can serve you better? And so part of the podcast and part of the book is just education so we as parents and local leaders can be prepared. But I re- really resonates with um, what you said, Clark, is that often our LGBTQ are walking encyclopedias mm-hmm. um, and they need what you just said your parents gave you. They need love and they need to just take no understand the courage it's taken even if a parent is learning this for the first time, this is a journey you've been on for 10 years. Um, any other advice for local leaders or parents? And like most LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, you may have had some choppy experiences at times and some good experience with local leaders. If there's any difficult things that have been said to you, you'd like to share just in the spirit of educating people on how we can do better, you're welcome to share any of those. Yeah. Um, so as I'm sure many people have experienced in the year of 2020, it's been a lot of ups and downs and changes and I've moved several times. And so I've attended different wards and had changes of bishoprics. And so um, I've met with two different bishops that have been aware of the fact that I am gay. And um, it's been pretty fascinating to see kind of the different approaches. one of my bishops, I he just kind of, he approached it from, like I said, from a, an, an aspect of empathy. He just felt, he, he, he just expressed, you know, I, I don't know what you're going through, um, but I'm here for you. To this day, I haven't been in his ward for eight months. And to this day, I still get text messages randomly from him that just that's says, cool. Hi, Clark, just want you to know I'm thinking of you and that I love you. And that's it. That to me just shows that he, you know, it's not a calling that he's checking off a box for his duties as bishop. It is just showing genuine love and concern and compassion for one of his brothers and sisters. And I had another bishop who, as I expressed, you know, some 
feelings that I had been struggling with in regards to coming out and um, starting to date. Um, He, I, I just said, you know, I, I know that dating is not in accordance to what current church guidelines are. And I am taking this step as a very methodical approach. I don't want you to think that I'm rushing into this, um, but I would still love to be able to participate in the ward as much as I can. Um, And he just replied that, yeah, I mean, you can come to church, but you, you know you're going to hell. And that was painful to hear at that time, um, just because I, it was already a difficult step to take, but a step that I felt like I needed to take. Um, I'm a photographer. And one of the things that we study in photography is Ansel Adams' zone system. So he makes, um, he has a, a value scale of pure white to pure black from scale from one to 10. And a values in a photo should have all values of one to 10 in order to be like a really good, rich photograph. And so I've kind of reflected back onto that metaphor that we often in the church feel like things need to be either a one or a 10. They need to be pure white or pure black. And that's, that is everything in the gospel fits into those two categories. But as I've gone throughout this year and tried to face these difficult questions, I've come to realize that there's actually quite a bit that falls in that two to nine range that is very gray and we don't know a lot about. Um, and so I have, you know, after that, I, I took a step back from the church and I you know, just decided I needed to focus on my personal relationship with God, my own personal relationship with the savior, and then reapproach going to church with that more well-established relationship and um, so I, I have started to, you know, attend church again and it's been good, but it's just interesting how there's these two approaches. There's, you know, the approach of my first bishop that I talked about, right? That's very empathetic and loving and supportive. And then there's the bishop that's like, no, everything needs to be black or white. And if you're going to choose white or black, then you have to face the consequences of white or black, and that's it. Um, I also don't want this to sound like I am judgmental or critical of either of these gentlemen. I mean, they're they're humans. They're men. They're um, you know, they make mistakes, just as I have made countless mistakes. And they're also representing the church and church's standpoints and, you know, guidelines and standards. And I don't blame them for saying what they said. It's a good segment. 
Um, really good segment. And I love the photography analogy. That's a great one. Let's just, if, let's talk about that bishop. If you had opened up to that bishop on dating men um, and kind of took the courage to share that with your bishop, what would you, and both of you know that's against, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially, well, I won't get too much into that, but let's just, what would you hope the bishop would, how would he respond? I think it, it's very similar to what we're talking about when, what the approach should be when someone comes out, right? You know, these LGBTQ individuals are walking encyclopedias when it comes to these issues su- surrounding LGBTQ um, policies in the church. So w- when I decided to start dating, I was well aware of what the church's standpoint is on dating. But I felt that that was what I had to do at that standpoint. And so it would, for me, it would have been helpful to just have a bishop be, you know, they could even say, he's like, you know, I know you know what the church's stance is on that, but I want you to know that I'm here for you for whatever thing you need. And I hope that you still come to church and feel a part of our ward family. Because ultimately, that's what I want. I don't, I don't want to feel as though I have to choose. Because um, that's also what that black and white approach made me feel like I had to do was, okay, you either have to be a hundred percent in, or you have to be zero percent out. And um, and or hundred percent in, hundred percent out. And so. I felt that I, I just didn't want to choose. I wanted to be authentic and genuine to who I am, all aspects, and you know, develop and my relationship with the Savior, participate in my ward, worship my Heavenly Father, my Savior Jesus Christ. And I didn't want to feel like I had to choose between those two. That's a really good answer. And what you suggested the bishop can do doesn't mean he doesn't believe in her doctrine or he sells out her doctrine. He's just right. walking with you. The best way I can phrase it, it's the same answer as Clark, is if I, and I was a wise bishop, and I just say, I'll walk with you um, on the road that you feel is best with you. I'm not going to sort of sedate in your case. I wouldn't say, well, Clark, you ought, I suggest you date men. But if you're going to self-determine that's your path and we're going to talk about that and you're say that, then I would, I, I'll say, Clark, I'll just walk with you. Keep me involved. Keep me updated in your life. Tell me who you're dating. Just uh, whatever you feel comfortable sharing with me about this road, I'm just glad to walk with you. We don't need to make it all the time about, you know, or keeping church rules or not. You can involve me as much as you want to in that, but I just want to walk with you and you kind of take the lead on what you'd like me, how I can help you. If the common ground we have is that you want to have a relationship with your heavenly parents and the savior and feel welcome here, then I want to do everything I can to make that real in your life. Because I know in the back of my mind as a parent or priesthood leader, that if I can help, and if that's a goal for you and I can help you feel God's love, and the Savior's love, you're just going to make better decisions as you move forward in your life. But if I cut you off and create a lot of anger, then it's less likely I think you're going to make as good of decisions. 
Brene Brown, I read a book and I can't remember which one, but for listeners, Brene Brown's really helped me to be able to create space for others and just common ground and differences. And she, she talks about this phrase, you're either for me or you're against me, which is a phrase I've heard my whole life and felt fairly comfortable with. She challenges the thinking behind that. And it's back to what you said, is this, is this sort of binary thinking. And I realized that, you know, that may not always be helpful, that mentality. And it may, may cause me from coming, coming together as a human family in a way that I didn't think was possible if I just say you're either for me or against me. And sometimes that's probably an appropriate statement, depending on the issue or a, um, a group that perhaps wants to bomb me or something. But for most of the human family, I think we can find common ground. Um, so I like your suggestions to local leaders and that became my experience. I wasn't perfect at it, but I, this phrase, I'll just walk with you. I felt like I wanted to spend a lot of time listening to the YSAs to really understand their story and not be prescriptive um, until I really understood their story. And often that took multiple interviews. And then I wanted them to sort of tell me what their hopes are and what their dreams are and what they feel their path is. And I found as we developed that trust that if at times they wanted to wonder if this was the right path or look for suggestions, they would trust me. And I could be a stakeholder in their life because I'd sort of, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to say this in any way, but I'd earned the right to sort of, I felt like I'd, I'd gotten on their road enough that they trusted me and recognized I was just there on the road because I loved them and they deserved to be loved. And then I could just help them however they felt I could help them. And I felt very, it was a little relieving for me even taking that mentality because I just didn't need to control everybody's outcome. I just recognized that's part of the world is, and part of our doctrine is agency. And my, my role is not to take everybody's agency away and create some sort of correlated outcome for everybody. But my job was to walk with people and love people and do the very best I can to point them to Heavenly Father and Christ in our church. Any more thoughts on that before we move on? No, I think that, yeah, that makes... Talk about dating men um, and just what your hopes are for the future. Do you hope to marry a man? Do you're not sure? Do you feel like dating is just helping you understand uh, more about what your future is and how that works out? Share with us or share with our listeners a little bit about that. Yeah, I think... So as I mentioned, uh, you know, the thoughts and feelings I was experiencing... Um, uh, prior to coming out was this overarching sense of hopelessness. Um, And one of the major contributing factors of that hopelessness was just living alone um, and not having a family. And I have thought a lot this last year about what the character of God is and what it is that a loving heavenly father that I've been taught my whole life that he is would want for his child. And I don't feel that 
the Heavenly Father that I have come to know during my life wants me to be sad and alone my whole life. And starting to date and be able to honestly, even just having conversations with other men who have experienced the same things that I've experienced or felt or thought these similar thoughts or feelings has been monumental in helping me, you know, feel that I'm not crazy, that I, um, you know, there are different people in different stages of where they're at. And, you know, so a lot of that has offered me hope that I can get through some of the more difficult aspects of this. And so that's provided me hope. Um, and the hope that someday I will meet someone that, you know, has the same goals and um, purposes and beliefs that I do, um, or that's complementary, and that we can work forward and raise a family and raise a family in the gospel, um, raise children to know that they are children of God, that they have a loving uh, Father in heaven and a Savior, Jesus Christ, that atoned for their sins. That is my goal, um, is that I can raise a family um, with kids that know those beliefs that I'm lucky and blessed to have in my life. The only difference is that I potentially will do this with a man instead of a, a woman. And I don't know exactly what that looks like. It may be that I decide to do this alone and raise children by myself. Or, you know, maybe I meet a woman that it works. I don't know, but I I don't want to, you know, say this door is permanently closed to anything, but I also know that it's more likely going to be one of the other doors, which is being with a man. How do you worry about your eternal... Um, standing with God if you marry a man? That is an ongoing battle. Um, one of the things that I thought about a lot prior to coming on doing this podcast was I felt it was very easy for me to listen to other people's stories and feel like they had it figured out, quote unquote that they had come to this, you know, wonderful, individualized, personal, spiritual experience that had taught them that they are okay and God was okay with all of this. Um, One of the purposes of why I wanted to come on and do this was to, you know, show a different side of the things that everyone's at different stages and everyone's level of having it figured out um, looks different. And for me, a lot of that, having things figured out, equated, you know, I now know what my eternal standing with God is. But in reality, no one, gay or straight, knows what their eventual standing with God is. We're all working to do our best to follow the individual inspiration that we've been given, follow teachings of prophets and apostles, past and present, 
and um, you know move forward with that understanding that you're doing what you believe is what God would have you do. And so my process is still in process. It's still very much trying to figure out the answers to those questions. I am, I, I, I don't know. And so the approach I've taken is I'm doing it one day at a time. I am trying to be sensitive to the spirit and, you know, trying to avoid things that heavenly father would have me avoid and do the things that I feel like he would have me do. But that looks different for everyone. And so that was a a long-winded answer to, I don't know. It's a really good answer. I love listeners, Clark's feeling about the danger of comparison. We teach that in the church, but I think hopefully these podcasts, like Clark points out, are just helpful. But don't take one story and say, well, that's my story, or I wish I had it all figured out like so-and-so, or I think the the reason we do so many podcasts and if you listen to a lot of them is just to create a lot of stories and a lot of different paths so that you listeners that are LGBTQ just have more sort of, I always think better information leads to better revelation. And I think as you hear more stories, you then, and stories not in the, in the world of comparison, but just of, of stories that then helps you get better revelation for your path. You okay with that? Yeah. Um, do you get angry at the church that there's not a place for you in the sense that if you marry, your sexual orientation is gay, that and this is outside of your control, and you know a fellow BYU graduate that graduated, I'm sure in the photography program that's straight, he has a path to find a wife, and and he loves the church just as much as you, and you both serve missions, and you both love the gospel, and you both want children. You just don't have a path, um, and he does. Is Talk about anger towards the church if that happens for you and how you work through that. I have been extremely blessed that I have no ill will or bitter feelings towards the church. I. am hurt sometimes, but it takes a lot of emotional, spiritual, and physical energy to hold on to bitterness and anger and hurt and pain. And that's not something I want to do. That's just not what I want for my life. I love the church. I love the gospel. And, you know, as I've mentioned before, I think there are a lot of things that I don't know or that we as a church don't know. And I am patiently awaiting more revelation. But I think to be bitter and to be angry just takes too much emotional energy and it's not beneficial. It's not beneficial 
to you. It's not beneficial to anyone that you're around, to the church. And obviously, I wish that there were a place for me in the church, um, even if I were to remain single and celibate and active in the church. I don't feel like that there is a space um, for members that fit that criteria. Um, I and this is another you know aspect that I'm you know currently in process you know of trying to figure out you know where I, I fit in all of it, um, but ultimately I have kind of made an internal pact with myself to just not be bitter, not be angry because it just doesn't do any good. It's a really good answer. I, um, I love your answer. I, I love that you'd acknowledge there's hurt, hurt and pain to me are synonyms. And those are things in my feeling listeners that we need to validate in ourselves and others. And, but then, and I think that's a primary human emotion to feel hurt. And if we dismiss that or ask others not to feel hurt or pain, I think we're adding to their pain. But I, I think where agency kicks in is anger and bitterness, like Clark is sharing. And I think some of that's appropriate. But I think after a period of time, you need to put anger and bitterness behind you um, for the reasons Clark's talking about. And sometimes it takes a therapist to help us do that. Um, but I think it's part of moving forward. And obviously there's a lot of you listeners that may feel anger and bitterness towards the church or towards local leaders or towards family members. And I love what Clark suggests. And I think if, as Clark gets out of grad school and starts his practice, he'll be able to help people um, work through those feelings and be able to get an emotionally better spot. Um, how should we treat you if you marry a man? How would you hope we treat you? And we being the church, family, yeah. friends. I mean, in an ideal, perfect world, um, no different than a heterosexual couple. Um, I would love to be able to hold calling. I'd love to be able to participate in the church um, in every way that a heterosexual couple would be able to. Um, I am aware that that's not going to be possible. So realistically, um, <laughs> try to do that up to the point that you can't, you know, and, and just be um, loving and accepting and empathetic and um, allow participation as much as possible. I love that answer. Talk about how you hope friends treat you and family treat you. I hope that they would treat me no differently than they treat me now. Um, obviously, being gay is a big component of who I am, but it's not everything. Um, I'm a family man, as I've mentioned. I'm a photographer. I'm a teacher. Hopefully a therapist someday. Um, I... I'm an outdoorsman. Like there are, are so many aspects to who I am that I would hope that while this information 
is a part of who I am, yes. I hope that it wouldn't change any other aspect of how I would be treated um, because it's just one part of a bigger puzzle. Have you had any conversations with Heavenly Father about why you're gay? And I don't know if you want to share any of that or if you've received any answers. Any thoughts on that, Clark? I have, actually. Um, I, this last summer, um, my my grandparents have a, a cattle ranch in southeastern Idaho. And it's always just been a place of refuge for me. And I reached a point this summer where I just needed to get away from all of the noise. And so I went to the ranch and the Blackfoot River runs through the ranch. And so I was sitting on the bridge looking down into the water and as I was staring at my reflection in the water, watching the fish jump, hearing the cows mooing in the fields and the horses and the bugs and the birds and the swallows and the sandhill cranes and all of these different things, I was amazed at the complexity of the world that God had created and how it all worked in perfect harmony. And I received a very distinct thought that God does not make mistakes. You are one of his creations and therefore you are not a mistake. I don't know why God made me gay, but I know that he did. And I know that it was not a mistake. And now I feel a responsibility to find out that reason. And I feel that God, he does do things purposefully. And there is some reason that I am gay. And I don't know what that is, but I am hoping that throughout the course of my life, that that will reveal itself. Sometimes we get on sacred ground, listeners, and I feel like that was sacred ground right there. And thank you for sharing that. And that's certainly been my conclusion, too, after meeting many LGBTQ people, is that, you know, God doesn't make mistakes and he's not surprised. And so I think everybody needs to look in the mirror where they're straight or LGBTQ and and look at everything that every part of you that's been created and say, this is the way God wanted me to create it. And even if you feel shame about some parts of you, I don't think God does. I think he loves you just the way you are. And I think as all of us, all of you, like Clark has done, can accept this, everything about them, then you are better to, it's better spot for you to to make better decisions going forward. And if you can believe Heavenly Father loves this part about you, then I think it's more likely you'll have a closer relationship with Him and He can guide you. I love your hope. I wrote the word hope in that prior segment when you talked about your hope in the church. 
I, and I love the way you recognize that hope isn't possible now. But listeners, I just like to hear people's hopes. Hope is my favorite word in the gospel. And I recognize where Clark got in a really bad spot was because of no hope, and what got him out of that spot was hope. And so when Clark talked about his hope, I hope we wouldn't remind him of the doctrine or that God's laws don't change or the prophets have spoken. Clark knows that. I kind of think about what would I have said to Black Latter-day Saints in the 70s. I was alive in the 70s, and if some of them had opened up one day, they hoped they had the priesthood. And I don't. I hope I would have said to them, well, I just sit with you in the complexity of your situation right now. I don't know God's will, and I'm not a leader of the church, and I support our current policy, but I will hear your hopes. And if you hope that you hold the priesthood one day, I'm comfortable hearing that. And I'm comfortable sitting with you in the complexity of your life right now. Assuming I was priesthood age, I guess I will barely was. I was priesthood age. I was born in 61, so I was an ironic priesthood holder when the revelation happened. I, I hope I would have recognized that I have access to the temple and the priesthood why my fellow Black Latter-day Saints didn't, and just recognize the complexity of that situation and the inequality of that situation. So I love hope. I love your hope, and I would never do anything to, for anybody to try to mute their hope, even though I don't know how that exactly happens. I do believe that there's just, I mean, I think our doctrine is awesome for straight Latter-day Saints. <laughs> our kids are, you know, have access to that doctrine. We've had a lot of wonderful temple marriages. I had access to that doctrine when I was Clark's age and dating at BYU, but we have sexual minorities and gender minorities, and I'm comfortable that we may need more light and understanding so that Clark has the same opportunities for joy and happiness in this life that um, other straight Latter-day Saints have. And I don't know how that works out. I don't want to sort of say this is how I think it works out and our doctrine needs to change or our leaders. I, I don't want to go down that road, but I will go down the road that I think there's just more light and understanding that's needed because Clark is not having the same experience that straight Latter-day Saints are. And I think where we can be mature enough and confident enough in our gospel to acknowledge that and that there's just more work to be done here. Um, I'm going to ask just one more comment. I'll send it back to Clark, see if he has any comments. I love what Becky McIntosh in her video when her son, Sean, came out as gay and then ended up marrying a man. It's on the church's website. But she just basically said, anybody and everybody's going to be welcome at our house, and we're going to leave all this at the Savior's feet. And how relieving for that as a parent just to say, that's what we do. Um, we just make everybody feel welcome and loving, and that's our job as parents. And it's relieving a lot of times, and just we're going to leave this at the Savior's feet. So any thoughts you've had on anything I've said or any things that have come to your mind, Clark, you'd like to share with our listeners? That kind of, we're kind of at the end, so just anything you want to share. Yeah, just uh, kind of touch on that subject of hope. Um, throughout the course of this last year, I have had days where I have felt like there's no hope, and I have felt like there's nothing but hope. And 
So I feel like it is very important that for anyone who may be listening that feels like there is no hope, that tomorrow is a different day and that that's not a permanent state. Um, I think that by saying to someone who's feeling like there's no hope and telling them like, oh yes, there is hope. Sometimes that can feel frustrating um, because it, in that moment, genuinely does not feel like there is hope. But if you can lock into that mindset that that feeling of hopelessness is not a permanent state of mind or state that you can make it through those difficult times when you don't feel like there is any hope. I love that. Clark, I don't know if your parents are listening, brother, sister, Morley, or family, but you have raised a great son. That experience on the Blackfoot River, I'm naming the river and just you, Clark's, Clark will be embarrassed if I kind of go off about him, but you have raised a great son with a great foundation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you have given him the tools to navigate this really complicated road in a wonderful, authentic way. And, and just, you know, we talked about you before the podcast, just his love for both of you and what a great job you're doing as active Latter-day Saints supporting a gay son. And thank you for the son you've raised and the foundational principles he has. And Clark, you have a great life ahead of you. You have five, six, seven decades ahead of you. <laughs> I guess you're seven decades younger than our prophet if you're 27. <laughs> um, but I think you will answer that question is why God has made you gay. And I think part of it, and you may look back on experiences you already had, and, and this may be part of your answer, is your ability to help and reach people that somehow this part of you allows you to connect with just the whole human population in a way that wouldn't be possible. And your ability to help and heal and bring hope and fundamental principles because you've had to walk a really complicated road. And there are days, obviously, when you would love to be straight. <laughs> Back when you were dating that, that wonderful girl you just talk about at the end of BYU. But there will be days, and I think these days are happening for you, but I think will happen over the rest of your lifetime that you will be glad this is the way God created you because you will be able to do the very things you're wired to do to bring hope and healing and perspective and the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. And so it's great to have you on the podcast. You give me hope for the future of our church and world, and you're the best of the best. And um, so this is Richard Osler and Clark Morley signing off. And once again, encourage you to pick up a copy of the book I wrote, Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. There is some sections in here that Clark kind of talks about, um, just the idea that everybody should be on the same moral footing um, straight and LGBTQ people. We talk about that a little bit in the book. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us on another episode. <laughs>